Our Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25. This is about how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be. So Matthew 1 at verse 18 here, God's word. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would help us to have open hearts and responsive hearts, and that you would teach us something fresh in a story that's old but well known. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It's that time of year. Uh, I have a habit of leaving my Christmas shopping until Christmas Eve, and then it's that one present I haven't managed to get, usually my wife's, and there's that surge of panic. What are the clues that she's been dropping into my head for the past number of weeks? Can I remember? Was it this or was it that? Uh, And uh, then hopefully on Christmas Eve you get it done. But I did something unusual on Saturday. I went Christmas shopping with my wife. I hope next year to do it on Christmas Eve. But apart from that, it was great because we got lots of presents done. One of the issues, and I'm going to save you money this morning. You didn't come to church thinking that you might be able to save money. But one of the issues is Christmas crackers. Drives me nuts. What do you buy? Do you buy the budget variety? Or do you buy the expensive ones? Do you buy the expensive ones in the hope that the jokes that are in the Christmas crackers will be better than the jokes in the budget ones? And so it comes down to budget jokes or expensive jokes. Well, I'm going to save you money on two fronts. Number one, I'm going to encourage you to buy the budget variety of crackers uh, because I'm going to give you some great Christmas jokes, cracker jokes, uh, and, and, and you won't need the expensive crackers because these are the best Christmas cracker jokes you've ever heard. Number two, you might decide not to buy Christmas crackers at all because these cracker jokes are so good and you could imagine that you're pulling a cracker and take out a joke and you could just take note of these and take them as they are. So, here it goes. First one, what does Santa suffer from when he gets stuck in the chimney? Santa suffers from claustrophobia. What do they sing at the snowman's birthday party? Freeze! A jolly good fellow. What kind of motorbike does Santa Claus drive? A Holly Davidson. Okay. Who delivers 
presents at Christmas to baby sharks? Santa Jaws. And there's more. Where did Santa go to school? Answer, he didn't go to school. He was elf taught. And I hear you say, please stop, and I will at that. But it's easy with all that goes on to forget that the real reason for celebrating Christmas is not simply the birth of Jesus, but a virgin birth. Either the virgin birth is absolutely nonsensical, which in one sense it is, either it's totally untrue or it is true. There's no kind of middle ground uh, within it. In Matthew's Gospel, he uses the first part of chapter 1 to place Jesus in the line of human ancestry going back to King David and beyond 42 generations to Abraham. His human credentials are impeccable. And then Matthew moves smoothly, almost matter-of-factly, to the idea that the birth of Jesus was both supernatural, conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin, and natural because he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. And so Matthew simply tells us in verse 18 that before Joseph consummated his relationship with Mary, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. But what I'm really interested in this morning is not in the concept of the virgin birth, but in what the angel told this young couple about the son that they would have. In one sense, the message of the angel shouldn't surprise those who study the Scriptures. Because in the Old Testament, the birth of Jesus was prophesied in so many ways. It was prophesied where he would be born. It was prophesied how he would be born. Uh, And one of those prophecies picked up by Matthew that we read earlier comes from Isaiah 7.14, which says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. And the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now this passage I've preached on at Christmas, I'm sure maybe half a dozen times, but I hope this morning it may strike us with some genuine freshness because there's really two things that I want to say. Number one, they're told to call this child Jesus. And that's in uh, verse 21 of uh, Matthew chapter 1. Shall we read that again? She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew means Jehovah is salvation. Now, although the name Jesus uh, closely related to Joshua is very common as a name in first century AD, the point is that this particular child was to be called Jesus because it would remind people that Jehovah is salvation. But right at the start of such a positive message, there is an important qualification in the text. I wonder how many times we've seen it in reading a familiar text. The phrase is that he will save his people. And the implication is that not everyone will be saved through Jesus Christ and the salvation he came to be. This is important because those who believe in so-called cheap grace like to think that it's God's duty to forgive others their sins. Some people like to think that God is far too nice to condemn people to hell because God is a God of love, isn't he? And that's true, of course. 
What the Bible makes clear is that the phrase his people refers to those who in the New Testament era, and we're in that New Testament era, those who belong to Jesus acknowledging him as Savior and Lord. It might help us just to look at a couple of verses of things that Jesus said a little bit later on in John chapter 10, first of all, verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for those he came to save. He is willing to lay down his life. And later on in John 10, verse 27, maybe through to 29, he says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. That wonderful gift of God from Christ. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's an amazing promise from Jesus. He says, I know my sheep. I know my people. I know the ones who are willing to respond to my grace and to my call and to my mercy. I know them, and I shall give them eternal life. They will never, ever perish, and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. I think it's an incredible and wonderful message from Jesus. In other words, Jesus promises salvation to those who are willing to meet his love with their own. He's willing to offer salvation to those who respond to his call to follow me and become his disciples. And that plainly is not everybody in the world, but only those who respond to God's love in Jesus Christ. Psalm 20 and verse 7 reminds us, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist reminded us that, you know, people in our world trust in so many things, power, wealth, success, all kinds of things, maybe money. And whatever people trust in will find that it's not sufficient for salvation, but the psalmist said we trust in the name of of the Lord our God. We could substitute, we trust in the name of Jesus. It is only as we trust in Jesus that we find salvation. It's only as we trust in Jesus that we may be rescued from captivity to sin and delivered from the power and the penalty and the guilt of sin. And I I, I just love to pause when I say that in a phrase that just runs over our heads. That Jesus rescues us from captivity to sin, but also the guilt of sin. I'm a great one at holding on to guilt. I'm a great one at looking at the things I've messed up in my life and constantly dredging them up and thinking time after time again, how can God forgive me for that? He breaks the power of cancelled sin. We used to sing, uh, or do still sing in one of our hymns. I, I didn't know what it meant till I was a good bit older from childhood. But Jesus came not only to forgive our sin, but to cancel the debt of our sin and the guilt of our sin. And far too many of us in the Christian life wallow in guilt. Far too many of us find it hard to leave go of the past 
And yet the Apostle Paul said that part of his discipleship was forgetting what lies behind. He says, I strain and press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus rescues from the power and the penalty and the guilt of sin. However, if God will not, because of his holiness and righteousness, or cannot forgive everyone regarding their attitudes to Jesus, we can be sure that he loves everyone. Indeed, we need to remind ourselves that it is because his name is Jesus that he offers salvation freely to any who will receive it. It's a bit like his gift is sitting under the Christmas tree with your name on it, but until you take it and unwrap it, it doesn't mean anything or become personal to you. It remains a gift on offer, but not yet received. I remember going through a time of severe doubt in my early 20s. My father had died. Things were not going well in my life, and uh, I questioned and queried if there was a God, and if there was a God, did he love me? And I just couldn't get my head around it. And if you had asked me how I felt God would speak to me and help me about my doubts, I would have said, well, he'll give me some wonderful experience. He'd give me some kind of, you know, zapping power of the Holy Spirit, you know, like a thunderbolt that energizes and crackles with the power of God's Spirit, or he'd do something big. And did he did something quite different. He spoke to me through the most common, best-known verse in Scripture, the last verse that I would have thought that God might have used to help me in my doubts and in my questioning. John three sixteen. you know it well. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that just so brilliant? After the opening of my talk this morning, can I say that's a cracker verse? God so loved the world. God so loved Ken McBride. If he loves the whole world, there isn't one person he doesn't want to see saved. But we have to make that choice. We have to make that commitment. We have to open the door of our hearts to allow him in. God so loved the world. God so loved Ken McBride. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that if you believe in him, you will never perish, but have everlasting life. You see, for me that brings an amazing security. It eased my doubts and my questionings. For me it brings something that says to me, although I see and I didn't think of it when I was in my early 20s, but now I'm in my early 60s, I see the uh, degeneration of body and mind and a whole lot of other things. Uh, and I'm reminded that because of Jesus, I will not perish because I have eternal life. That though the outer body may waste away, God will one day renew that and give me a new body and a new life in heaven because he loves me so much. And when we read that well-familiar verse, God so loved the world, he gives one only son, that whoever believes in him, can I just, if you forgive the repetition of something I've said so often, the little phrase, whoever believes in him, we need to understand in the Greek is pistio ice, and it really means believing into him. 
It doesn't just mean believing in our heads that God exists. It means entering into a relationship. Whoever believes into him will receive eternal life. It's a bit like you can stand outside a building and you cannot be part of the building. But when you came into the building this morning, you came into this building and it envelops you and you are in it and part of it. And when we believe into Jesus, we become part of him. He envelops us, and he becomes our Savior. So this is an integral part of what we believe about the Christmas story, that there's no one on earth whom God does not love or desire a relationship with, but he won't force us to be saved. You may remember Holman Hunt's famous painting of Christ as the light of the world. It has a picture of Jesus standing at a door, and there's no handle on the door. And this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking is a familiar one. Actually, it's often used in evangelistic sermons, but really I think it refers to Christians. But nevertheless, Jesus stands at the door, and the handle's on the inside. Only you or I can open it. Only your eye can let him in. He will not barge into our lives. And only as we invite him in can Jesus forgive our sins and remove the stain of their guilt from our lives. This is such an integral part of Christian Christmas. To you is born this day a Savior, a child born in the stable, gentle, meek, and mild as we sing in carols, yet strong enough to face the onslaught of hell, strong enough to satisfy the wrath of God towards our sin, and strong enough to overcome sin and death on our behalf to bring us victory through Christ. Listen, the truth about Christmas that we'll be thinking of tonight is that God came in human form that you and I might be forgiven for everything we've ever done that was sinful or wrong. He came prepared to offer up his life as a ransom for us who have been kidnapped and held hostage by sin. The truth is that Jesus didn't come to make us rich, successful, to live in a tax-free haven. He came to set us free from all that binds us, from all that crushes us, from everything that makes us feel marginalized, unloved, unworthy. He came to die for us because we are so, so worth it. Maybe this Christmas, some of us, maybe you, will come to Jesus for the first time and say, Lord, come and save me from my sin and the power of sin over my life. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the second thing that is said that is of great significance uh, in Matthew's opening uh, of the gospel story comes in verse 23 of Matthew uh, chapter 1. And it's this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We have actually no record of Jesus being called Emmanuel by his family, his friends, or his followers. He was called Jesus, or the Christ, which is another name for Messiah. The name Emmanuel, however, speaks of the identity of Jesus. Think of it this way. If the name Jesus specifies what he does, God saves, the name Emmanuel specifies who Jesus is for us, God with us. And think of how Jesus demonstrated his identity in his ministry to people. He came 
to dwell with the sick, to heal them. He came to dwell with those possessed of evil spirits, that they might be set free. He came to dwell with the marginalized of society, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the untouchables, the lepers and the like. He came to dwell with the hungry, to feed them. He came to dwell with the hopeless, to bring them hope. That God is Emmanuel or God with us is also significant because the Bible never pictures God as an absentee landlord. The Bible never pictures God as, a song says, God is watching from a distance. Or God is not a spectator of human sport. He is incarnational. He is with us. And if we want to try and understand something of the suffering in our world if we want to try and understand suffering, uh, where God is in the midst of all the different suffering situations, well, he calls us to be his hands and his feet. And so when we support something like we do on Christmas Day morning, as we have done for the past number of years with the Cambodia Hope Organization project, with, with trying to help young people understand how they might prevent themselves being trafficked, We're trying to provide hope for people who are living in poverty. When we begin to see that the church of Jesus Christ right throughout the world is actually the hands of Jesus, we begin to understand that the suffering in the world is not something that even we can have a spectator sport about, but need to be involved in as the people of God and the hands of Jesus. For he is a God who gets his hands dirty in the stuff of life, sharing our humanity understanding what we're like, empathizing with us, not just sympathizing, but empathizing because he's able to stand in our shoes because he shared our humanity and is truly Emmanuel, God with us. But as I come to a close this morning, I want to maybe just say something that you may not always associate with the Christmas story. How is God with us as Emmanuel today? Can I say by the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives to his children. He promised the disciples before he ascended, wait in Jerusalem until the power of God comes upon you, and then you can go out into the whole world and be my disciples. He promised a new relationship. He said, I will not leave you orphaned or desolate. I will call the Father, to bring his Spirit to you. So that whilst in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular reasons, today the Holy Spirit is God's Emmanuel presence in our lives, helping us to live as the body of Christ, the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus to the world that we live in today. And he gives the gift of his Holy Spirit to every Christian. You see, that is one of the things that distinguishes people who simply are religious and believe in God from those who are genuine Christians. Because you can be religious, you can believe in God and not have a relationship with Jesus, not have a spiritual connection with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But when we come to Jesus, he brings us his spirit. You see, all the way from the teaching of Jesus, when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he literally meant you must be born from above, supernaturally, by the spirit of God. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot earn it. You cannot ask someone to do it for you apart from Jesus. And so he brings us his spirit, given to every Christian at conversion. The spirit makes Jesus 
and the presence of Jesus real to us. He seeks to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And you know, I have to say, he finds a lot of resistance in me. Things I read in the Bible, things I know that I should change, and I say, well, you know, Lord, maybe when I'm a bit older. Now, I am a bit older. I find, to my shame, I still say that to God sometimes. But the Spirit is to come to chivy in our lives that which is wrong and that which is unchristlike out of us. He wants to turn us from people who are negative and always seeing the dark side of things to people who are positive and filled with light. He wants to change us from people who will not forgive those who wrong us into people who will forgive. He wants to change us from people who will not offer mercy to others or grace, or love to others into people who will be a people of love and grace and mercy. He wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. The Spirit also teaches us from the Word of God and leads us into all truth. He is the one who helps our minds understand the Scriptures, who helps our minds put into practice, who delivers the truth of our minds to the heart that we have so that belief and practice join up together. He is the one who gives gifts to us. Some of them are more mundane, and some are maybe more spectacular, but all are given to equip us to serve Christ in the world and build the church up. He fills us daily with the power and the presence of the Lord. Oh, that I could maintain what is often my expressed desire, that every day I would say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And in my shame, I often neglect to do that. And then I find that as I neglect to do that, the tank begins to run empty. And sometimes, if I'm honest, it's way down to the bottom of the reserve until I come back to God and say, Lord, fill me afresh with your Spirit. Give me your love and your grace and your power because it's only by His power that we can live the life of Jesus in the world today. So this Christmas, celebrate Jesus, Emmanuel, and the Savior who is with us in everyday life and on to eternity. And as we conclude, may I ask you this question this morning. Do you need Jesus as your Savior this morning? Are you one of those who have perhaps come to church for many years and never quite made that connection with Jesus? Maybe today's the opportunity you might find as you come to prayer ministry that you could take one of these little booklets, Why Jesus Booklets will help you to understand what it is to make that connection with Jesus. And there's a little prayer, page 18, that, that you could pray that will help you make that connection with Jesus. In fact, I'm maybe going to pray that prayer in a moment or two, but you can take the booklet and look at it. Do you need a fresh touch this morning of Jesus Emmanuel with you today? Well, let's pray for that filling anew of God's Spirit together. I want to tell you something, Christian. I spoke to a minister of another denomination just last week or maybe the week before. And I said to him, how are things going in your church? He said, the last year has been hell. And I said, well, 
Is it just you or is it others? He said, practically every church in our denomination this past year has found it hell. He says, Christians are fighting with one another. Christians are giving up on one another. Christians are showing a lack of love and a lack of grace. I spoke to another minister not so long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, one of our own denomination. And he said, we've had our first mission in a long time, and it's been hell since. That was his words. And one of the things I think, Christian, that you and I need to be aware of is this. Unless we are a people filled with the power of God's Holy Spirit, we are not going to be a people who can keep the natural man or woman down. By the natural man or woman, I mean people who fall out with one another, who have a lack of grace or a lack of human compassion or a lack of empathy. And there's an enemy out there who wants to destroy the churches in our community. And you and I need to be a people of the Spirit of Jesus. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. We need to pray it, folks, please. And let's just do that now as we respond to God's word. Let's pray. And I want to pray on two levels this morning. I want to pray on that level of maybe some of us who have not yet found Jesus to be our Savior. And I'm going to pray the prayer that is in this little booklet, Why Jesus. And if you can pray that prayer, I'm not asking you to put your hand up or to come to the front, although you may want to come to prayer ministry to have someone pray with you, to encourage you. You may want to speak to me at the door at the end of the service, and that would be great. But I want to give you this opportunity to pray this prayer. If you feel that God has been speaking to you and you want to know Jesus, then this might be the prayer that you would pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. It may help us if we just take a moment to ask forgiveness for anything particular that's on our conscience. Maybe even some of us who are Christians need to do that as well. Just take a moment. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know that is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. And I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And maybe there's some of us as we approach Christmas and we're worldly weary. Maybe we've been Christians for a short time or a long time, but just something of that first love of Jesus has gone and somehow our Christian lives have become stale. Perhaps this morning we can pray, Lord, come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh. Fill me anew. Flood my life. Overwhelm me with that sense of your love and of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. 
that we might be not only partakers but givers of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And Father, help us to be on our guard against the enemy who would seek to destroy the church from within. For we do have an enemy who hates the name of Jesus being exalted, who hates the name of Jesus being preached and proclaimed. And we need to pray that we do not fall foul of the enemy's snares. Heavenly Father, fill us with your Spirit that we may have the power to put on the armor of God with prayer and that we might withstand in the name of Jesus and by the power of Christ any onslaught of the enemy, but that we might grow through the infilling of the Holy Spirit to become ever more like Jesus. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.